listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Continuing in the book of Mark, we're reading today chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue, named Jairus, came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet, and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you? How can you say, Who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, Why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement. He strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And thanks, Bobby, for that reading. So um, last week after church, about a dozen or so people came up to me um, and asked what was on my shirt. 
Um, it was the funniest thing because like in the little handshake line out there, like every four or five people, uh, someone would be like, you know, great, great service, Pastor. I loved worship today. What's on your t-shirt? Um, even, even my mom. Um, so every Sunday, my little ritual is I go home, uh, I watch Meet the Press, of course, uh, and I FaceTime my mom, um, and she watches the services because of course she does. Hi, mom. Um, <laughs> other people are waving as well. Um, and even my mom last Sunday was like, enjoyed the service, honey, good sermon. What was on your shirt? <clears throat> so uh, this is the shirt that I wore last week. Um, it says Jesus was a refugee, just to kind of clear things up. Um, this is a reference to uh, Matthew 2, when uh, Jesus and his parents have to flee down to Egypt uh, to escape King Herod. Um, I think because of my jacket, a lot of people saw the F-U and got concerned. <laughs> I, think, <clears throat> I, I think that was the issue last week, um, but that's, that's what it said, so that's clear. Um, and of course, I never, I never want like my wardrobe to be a distraction, especially like in worship. So, so for today, I went uh, with Jesus riding a dinosaur. You know, not, not distracting at all. Um, that's enough of that. It's <laughs> ridiculous. Let's talk about our passage for today and these two stories. Uh, we got two miracles uh, in our reading today. Two healings. Uh, and it's another sandwich. Do you guys remember this? Do you remember the Mark sandwiches? It's been, it's been a little while since we talked about this. It's probably been about two months. Um, but Mark likes to do this thing where he tells the first part of a story, then he tells a second story, a different story, and then we get the end of that first story. And scholars call this the sandwich technique. That's not a joke, by the way. <laughs> like, world-class Bible scholars, these brilliant people with degrees who know like Latin and Greek, they look at this and they say, looks like a sandwich. So that's basically how we got the sandwich method. Um, and today we've got these two stories sandwiched together. Uh, the sandwich begins with a man named Jairus who comes to Jesus and asks him to heal his daughter. She's home in bed, deathly ill. They head to Jairus' house, but on the way, Jesus gets uh, caught up in the crowd, and a woman who has been bleeding, she's been hemorrhaging for 12 years, sneaks through the crowd and touches Jesus' cloak and is healed. And we get this whole other story, this whole other exchange with Jesus and the woman. That is story B. And then finally, some, some servants show up from Jairus' house with the news that his daughter has died. Jesus goes to the house and raises the girl to life. Story A, story B, story A. We good with the sandwich idea? Okay. Uh, now, these are two awesome stories. These are incredible stories. Again, like vintage Jesus. We see this a lot in the Gospel of Mark. Uh, Mark's telling of the Jesus story is so foundational that we know a lot of these stories. If you have been around church much in your life, if you've seen a Jesus movie, you might know the one about when Jesus rose the little girl from the dead. Or the story about the woman who snuck through the crowd and touched Jesus' cloak and was healed. But what I want to do today with these two stories is I want to take them, they're familiar stories, and I want to try to actually read them together. I want to follow Mark's lead and do what I think Mark is prompting us to do by shoving these stories next to each other and reading them together 
to see what we find. Why does Mark choose to juxtapose these two stories? And what do we learn if we read them together? And it is possible, it's possible that this is just the way it happened. That's fine. That is certainly within the realm of possibility. But if you spend much time in the Gospels, you're going to see that the Gospel writers like to play around with the order of things. They tell the Jesus story very differently, and everything is deliberate. There are no accidents in where these stories are placed. And in this case, with these two stories, there are too many parallels, too many points of connection for it to just have been a coincidence. Um, Both Jairus and the woman, uh, they are sick, and they come seeking healing, or Jairus is seeking healing for his daughter, and they both get more than they could have possibly imagined. That's one point of connection. Uh, Both stories talk about faith. The woman has been bleeding. She's been menstruating for 12 years. The little girl is 12 years old, 12 being a pretty important number in the Bible. There's just too many parallels here for this to have been a coincidence. So let's dive in. Let's read these stories together and see what we discover. Mark 5, beginning in verse 21. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So he went with him. Pause. Let's talk about Jairus for a second. And I'm going to ask questions, so there's going to be some participation here. What do we know about Jairus? What does Mark tell us? What, what can we say about Jairus from this story? Any, anyone, anything? He's the leader of the synagogue. Yeah. He's a religious leader. He's basically like, like church moderator. This is, this is like Jim Simboli, you know, coming and asking. So it's good that you answered that. Um, yeah, he's the leader of the synagogue. What else might we infer from this story? Demographics, any, anything like that? He's a dad. That was up there, yeah? Was that, was that, was that, yeah. I wasn't sure. He's a dad. Yeah, he's got a daughter. Yeah. Anything else? He's male, right? Maybe, maybe like, Maybe too obvious, but he's a man. That's going to be pretty important when we compare him with the next character we meet, who's a woman. Um, Anything else we'd say about Jairus? He's Jewish. Yep. Yeah. Jesus is in Jewish territory. Last week, Jesus was in Gentile territory. Now he's back on the other side among Jews. Jairus is also probably wealthy. Doesn't tell us that exactly, but he's a leader of the synagogue. That usually comes with some money. No, no offense, Jim, not <laughs> to put you on blast or anything. Uh, uh, but he, he commands some respect, right? He tells Jesus to come with him, and Jesus goes, right? So this guy, he's, he's male. He's most likely well-off. We could probably even surmise rich or wealthy. He's respected in the community, and he's the head of a synagogue, all right? Let's keep reading verse 25. And let's contrast Jairus with the woman we meet uh, in this next part of the story. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. 
She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather she got worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, for she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Just to give some background on this, to shed some light, a little, a little context here, because I know we're not all, we're not all experts in Jewish law. <laughs> um, this is a woman who has been bleeding. She's been menstruating for 12 years. And in that part of the world at that time, that is a huge problem. Uh, in the Jewish law and the Torah, women who are menstruating were considered unclean. Um, and we talked about this over the summer uh, when we did Leviticus together. In fact, Pastor Alicia preached a fantastic sermon where she talked about this story and she talked about that section of the law. Originally, the, the original intent of the law was that women, when they had their periods, got time off. You can almost think of it as like paid family leave, sort of, is the, is the idea for the ancient world. Um, in ancient Israel, when it was that time of the month, um, a woman, the women could go to special tents outside the camp where they could rest and where their every need would be met. That was how this worked originally. But the language that was used back then is that the woman would be temporarily unclean. Now, we also talked about this when we dug into uh, Leviticus. You've got to remember, unclean doesn't mean bad. Unclean means in a different category, almost like set apart uh, leave them alone for a week. Let them rest. Um, don't pester them for sex is what Leviticus basically says. If you read, like, that's, that's, that's not even subtext. It's, like, literally what it says. Fast forward, though. Fast forward about a thousand years from all that to the time of Jesus, and you now have this woman who has this medical condition that has rendered her unclean for 12 years. For 12 years, she has been set aside, cast out. She spent all her money on doctors who promised to heal her, but it hasn't worked. She hasn't gotten any better. Let's put, yeah, oh, you can go back a couple. Well, now you guys know some of the answers. But let's put all the things we know about Jairus up here, and let's compare Jairus and this woman. <clears throat> Jairus is male. This woman is Good job, you got that one. <clears throat> you would have gotten that one, though, even if it wasn't up there. It's all right. Um, Jairus is rich. This woman is? Absolutely. She is about as poor as you can get. She is penniless. We might even say, in light of all these dealings with the doctors who took her money, that she's been exploited. Jairus has high social capital. Um, what word might we use to describe this woman? There's probably a few. If he's got high social capital, low, outcast, right? She's an outsider. It's illegal for her to even be in this crowd. We miss that sometimes, but it kind of explains her fear, when, her terror when Jesus notices her. She is breaking the law by her mere presence in this crowd. Last but not least, Jairus is the synagogue leader. This lady wouldn't have even been welcome in a synagogue. She is unclean. Do you see the contrast Mark is presenting us with? Kind of getting this. 
These two characters could not be more different from each other. They're at different ends of the spectrum uh, economically, socially, spiritually, patriarchally, if that's a word. And yet this unclean, poor, outcast of a woman, who's also Jewish, by the way, we didn't highlight that, she touches Jesus' cloak and instantly she is healed. Verse 30. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? Which, time out again for a second. I love the disciples. These guys are great, aren't they? Like, this is practically comedy. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is like, Someone touched me. And they're like, Well, yeah, there's a crowd. Just, I can't. <laughs> I can't even. Um, sorry, I had to point that out. Verse 32. Um, verse 32. Jesus looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. She's terrified. Fell down before him and told him the whole truth. I would have loved to have heard. I wish Mark would have quoted her to hear her story. Key phrase here, though, right toward the end, is that she fell down before him. This is a connecting point in the story. This is the second time we've seen someone fall down at the feet of Jesus. Who was the first person? Jairus. Very good. The only other person we talked about. Yeah. Uh, Back in verse 22, we see this. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at her feet. Both individuals, Jairus and this woman, fall at the feet of Jesus. Remember, Jairus is up here on the social ladder, and this lady is down here. They could not be further apart. Yet Jairus comes before Jesus, and he's humbled. He falls at his feet. This woman... When she comes before Jesus, she falls at his feet, and she goes from being an unseen face in the crowd to being seen and addressed by Jesus directly. God will bring down the powerful from their thrones and elevate the lowly. Jesus heals this woman, not even conscious of it, right? He doesn't even, there's no like volition, it just happens. The power goes out from him. Twelve years of suffering cured, but what happens next is the truly amazing part. We might actually say this next part is the real miracle. Um, Verse 34. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Go in peace and be healed. She's already healed, right? Like, she was healed the moment she touched Jesus' cloak. But with this line, Jesus goes one step further. By declaring peace to her, by declaring her daughter, he tells her to go and be healed. He restores her to community. Jesus is saying, I see you. I heal you. Now you go and you be healed. 
Let other people see you. Let others see what God has done in you. You go back to all those places you were kicked out of. You go back to all those doctors, to all those synagogue leaders, and you let them see that when they gave up on you, God healed you. Go and be healed. Do we need application at this point? If you've ever been cast aside, if you've ever been exploited, if you've ever been made to feel unwelcome or like you weren't wanted, but God found you and saved you anyway, you go and be healed. You go back to those places that kicked you out and you let them know what God has done for you. Go and be healed. We're not done yet, though. This next part of the story, this is the climax. This is the pivot point in the sandwich. It's a sentence I've never said before. Um, From story B back to story A. Uh, We're going to keep verse 34 up there, but let's see what comes right after it. Um, So I'll start reading. Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, some people came from Jairus' house to say, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Do you see the hinge point? Do you see the word that connects these two verses? There's a, there's a word that pops up in both of them. You guys say it louder because I'm deaf. Daughter. Yes. Jesus has just restored a daughter of Israel. Not only to health, but to life, right? This woman was essentially dead. She was socially dead. And Jesus brought her back to life. Then these guys show up and say, your daughter is dead. Let's see what Jesus can do for Jairus' daughter. Verse 36. Overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. i got to pause one more time. I think this is the last time I'm going to interrupt this. Um, Because this is another point of connection. Jesus tells Jairus to believe. Have faith, literally, is what he says. But someone else in this story has already shown faith. Who demonstrated faith in this story? The woman. Jesus is telling the head of a synagogue, he's challenging him to have as much faith as this woman who wouldn't have even been allowed inside one. That's important. Let's keep going. Verse 38. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he entered, Jesus said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. Then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. That's where I imagine Mark doing a little wink 
to the audience. Like, get it? 12 years? Anyway. <clears throat> At this they were overcome with amazement. Jesus strictly ordered that no one should know this. Clearly word got out. Um, and told them to give her something to eat. What an awesome pair of stories that Mark has just crammed together, sandwiched together for us. What have we learned by reading these stories together? Last week we looked at the story of the Gerasene demoniac, the demon-possessed man, and we saw that there were personal dimensions to that story and social ones, communal ones. It's the same thing here. On the personal front, I really love that both these stories start with a desperate person looking for help, looking for healing, who gets so much more. It's like a clear parallel between them. Um, The bleeding woman sneaks through the crowd just to touch Jesus' cloak, right? Maybe if I just touch his cloak, I'll be made well. I wouldn't dare to address Jesus directly, right? But what she gets is so much more. Because not only is she healed, she is restored to community. Likewise, Jairus comes to Jesus, also desperate, also looking for healing for his daughter. But Jesus doesn't heal her, right? Like, he doesn't actually make her not sick anymore. He's too late. He gets delayed in the crowd. She dies. God doesn't come through. But then Jairus has faith. Faith he learned from this woman who wouldn't have been welcome in his synagogue. And he sees his daughter raised to life. Have you ever been desperate like that? Have you ever had nowhere to turn? Have you ever felt uh, cast out, unclean, unwanted, like you didn't belong? Maybe you've been exploited, ripped off, victimized. Maybe God didn't come through for you. Maybe you prayed for healing for yourself, for someone you care about, and it didn't come. And have you ever seen God bring life out of death? You might be in it right now. You might be in the midst of it, feeling uh, confused, betrayed, ignored. My prayer with these stories is that they be a source of hope. That maybe this, reading these together, would remind you that God hasn't given up on you, that God is still with you in the midst of it, in the mess. God is still there working in your life. That's where this hits me on a a personal level. On a communal level, though, there is quite a statement being made here in the contrast between Jairus and this woman. The haves and the have-nots, as we'd say today. Um, Usually, we assume that, like, for one person to win, someone else has to lose, right? That's usually how we think about it, Um, especially if we talk about, like, economic disparities. If the rich win, that means the poor lose. If the poor win, it means the rich lose. There is a whole business on exploiting this, right? Uh, We live in a world where every day these economic disparities are used by people in power, The poor, the rich, the middle class are often set against each other for political gain. 
Politicians are really good at this, getting you to blame people for your problems. Um, blame the poor, right? Blame the welfare queens who are exploiting the system. Blame um, the immigrants who are bringing crime and drugs and taking your jobs, right? And then the other side will say, blame the rich. Blame the businesses. Blame the corporations. Blame the 1%. This is what we hear, what we're inundated with, day after day after day, and it's tearing us apart. But here is a story where rich and poor alike fall at the feet of Jesus and find the life. I came across this quote from the late Presbyterian minister Bill Placker. Uh, he wrote this commenting on these two stories. I think we've got it. Yeah, there we go. This is not a story about how outsiders get rewarded while insiders get punished. The last may come first and the first last, but the first are not excluded. In our society, we tend to assume that one person's gain is another's loss. God's reign will be different. God's reign will be different. The poor don't have to lose for you to win. The rich don't have to lose for you to win. In God's kingdom, there is plenty to go around. When the powerful are brought down from their thrones and the lowly are lifted up, it's good news for everyone. What if instead of like playing ourselves off each other all the time, blaming the rich, blaming the poor, what if we saw our fates as linked? How would your life be different if you saw your well-being linked with the well-being of the poor? How would that impact the way you live, the way you practice your faith, the way you relate in society? What actions of solidarity might you actually take with folks at the margins who've been exploited and excluded if you saw your fate connected with theirs? What social taboos might we violate to be Christ's hands and feet on earth? Your bulletin today uh, in the going deeper section, which is right under the sermon notes, we've got some prompts for uh, prayer and reflection on this story, and they speak to both the personal and the social level of what's going on here. And I want to encourage you this week, at some point, Sit down and read this story again and work through those prompts. Take them in prayer. Read the story a couple of times. Use it as a guide for prayer and reflection. And think about what God might be saying to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for the hope that you've brought into the world through Jesus. Thank you for the healing, the restoration, the welcome and inclusion, the new life you've made possible through Christ. Help us to get a taste of that life, Lord. Especially those of us who are struggling to feel it right now. Help us to experience it, to know it,
to live out of that hope and to share it with everyone we meet. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with us on Facebook at Brockport First Baptist, on Twitter at BrockportFB, and on our website, BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. This has been a production of Brockport First Baptist.